0: or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Desmond Dixon is a personable and trustworthy sales manager with years of effort performing in a fast-paced sales organization. He has a proven history of fostering client relationships in order to maximize sales volume. He brings forth a proven track record of working collaboratively, collaboratively, there's a tricky word, with sales teams to achieve goals increase revenue gains, and advance the sales cycle of the company. He has a concrete ability to manage all aspects of a sale from start to finish without supervision, and he's adept at assessing client drive and implementing programs that can best foster that drive. He is also the host of a twice-weekly podcast called Campfire Capitalism, which just began in 2022. So we're excited to hear about that, as well as Desmond's thoughts about bravery at work. Hello, Desmond. Hey, Ed. So glad that you could join us today. And I did a moderate effort of introducing you. And I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about the work that you're currently doing and how you are actively interacting in the marketplace.
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. So I am a sales consultant. So majority of my time is spent with working with agencies, tech startups, and small enterprise companies. And I essentially go in and help with either sales strategy, with creating a new offer, recruiting salespeople, training existing salespeople, and really just anything to deal with converting leads into clients. That's kind of my zone. Of, that's really my zone of genius is right now, Ed. So I'm doing that. And then um, I just launched Campfire Capitalism which is uh, the podcast, which is all about talking about business, sales. Um, We also get into like NFT strategies for Web2 companies with my other two co-hosts, Heather and Josh. So uh, between those two things, my my hands are pretty full.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It sounds very, very active. So I'm curious, Desmond, when you say you are a sales consultant, does that mean you're not an employee of the company that you work for, but you're an external consultant that's helping them achieve whatever it is they are looking to achieve?
1: See that's the that's the slippery slope because I am a consultant as in I'm a, I am external but my relationships and how deep I'm involved with my clients almost feels as if I'm working in the companies too. For instance, my one of my uh, big clients, I actually was the head of sales for that company before I transitioned to a consulting role, and um, you know I still work deeply with that team. Sometimes I get my hands dirty with a new process and help convert sales for the company just to, you know, uh, make sure all the, uh, the T's are crossed and I's are dotted so that it's easy to train and implement, you know, for sales teams. So uh, it's, yeah, some more external, but I also love to, you know, really get involved in, I get really attached to getting them their desired results. So it's, uh, it's Catch-22.
0: Well, it sounds like you also are at these companies for an extended period of time, maybe six months, a year, that type of uh, structure.
1: Yeah, so I do minimum six months because it really takes that long to really you know really start to see a result. Um, however, most of, I'm planning on you know these contracts to last you know probably upwards of three years, right? So we're going on year one with a few of them, and you know we have the momentum. So why you know why 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 uh, you know try to fix something that's not broke? So I'm expecting those contracts to last a couple more years.
0: And I'm pursuing this questioning, Desmond, because I'm curious to some degree, why you chose to be a external consultant. And I totally get the need to build camaraderie and feel like a member of the internal team and be treated like a member of the internal team. You and I have that in common in respect to the work that I'm doing. Yet you chose to be a consultant working with a variety of companies versus employed, for example, at a particular company. And you just sit back and reflect upon that. Was that purposeful? Is it accidental? How did you become... To do what you're doing today?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So I really just stumbled into it because people just kept asking me for um, advice and my, my thoughts on things. And it just really just like snowballed into this consultancy. I actually reached to a point where I was asking myself, should I scale this? If I scale it, that means like, I'm going to have more work. Like, or do I just, <laughs> you know, ride the coattails of what I have? Like, I, you know, I was really, you know, struggling with this all this month actually. And um I kind of like having my freedom. I like being able to choose when to work. I like the flexibility. Um, I also like the fact that there's something new, like I can work with someone new, and it's a whole different type of you know, process, a different type of an offer, different kind of you know, sales process. So it's like re-energizing. And then also I've also found a ton of joy just working with salespeople one-on-one, right? Like to really like unpack you know, what they're going through a specific deal and like give them the frame or give them some steps, some like actionable steps in that moment for them to change their financial life, right? Which by closing bigger deals. So, and I actually love that. I mean, that's what like fires me up. Not so much more the selling anymore. Um, Not to sound, you know, egotistical, but I'm pretty good at sales and it can get boring (laughs) if, you know, doing the same thing over and over again. Um, But I do like the training part of it the most.
0: Well, if you're good at something, it is not egotistical to say that you're, you're good at it. So a lot of people are interested, Desmond, in transitioning from a kind of corporate role to being more of a consultant for a number of reasons. The belief that they can manage their schedule better, that they can manage the jobs they work on better, that they can uh, take scheduled time off a little bit easier, you know, all those types of things. And yet they're afraid to make that move because of the volume of sales or marketing they may need to do. And the concern that revenue is not guaranteed. Of course, in a job, it's never guaranteed. Today, you could get laid off in a heartbeat. But, you know, what thoughts or advice might you have for listeners who don't feel brave enough to leave an organization and transition to a consultant role that might be thoughtful for them? I'm not suggesting you have the magic answer, but any observations or thoughts that you might tell our listeners that can be helpful for them if they are thinking of this type of
1: move? Oh man, I, I got something, some some um some great uh some great game here. So my first business full disclosure Ed, it failed because of the pandemic. And that by itself taught me a ton of lessons. It gave me great contrast of like what to do, what not to do, and what are the signs. And I'll say the number one thing by far, especially after like speaking with like literally thousands of entrepreneurs, it is uh being very clear. On the value that you can provide to the marketplace and judge that based upon the level of the problem. And do you have an actual solution to solve that problem? Right? Like, is there a problem that has real economics behind it that is, you know, very painful? Right? And can you essentially fill that gap? And as soon as you're clear there, that's when like people will come to you to a certain degree or people within your immediate network because your immediate network, when you're transitioning from corporate to consulting, is going to literally be your your life, your your life lifeline, right? Especially in those early days because you don't want to invest in marketing without having any revenue. And so uh, word of mouth and uh, tapping into your network is probably the most critical thing. And that will give you a great idea if the problem that you're trying to solve is big enough for people to pay you for it.
0: Fantastic. In respect to the key word, I think, from that description, Desmond, which is clarity. And when we think about being brave at work, Uh, being clear about what it is that you're experiencing and how the person can behave a little bit differently in order to be more effective is uh, important, right? To ensure they understand what it is you're saying and how what you are telling them can be helpful. Do you have any other thoughts or observations for our listeners who might be thinking about leaving a corporate role and moving into a external consultancy role? Clarity certainly being one of them.
1: Um, man, this is this is leaning into your 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 theme in terms of bravery, but at the end of the day, um I honestly believe if you have the financial means and and um you know you could take care of yourself and your family and if it's just a matter of what's in your head, I think taking the leap is by far the hardest thing to do. And um yeah, just having the 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 guts to <laughs> to take the leap and knowing that hey, if you're really good at something, like worse come to worse what's the worst thing that can happen? You just go back and work for someone, right? <laughs> and and then in the economy that we're in today, there's more jobs and there are people that can fill them, especially for skilled, skilled positions. So I think today is a, a great opportunity for people who are in corporate thinking about becoming a consultant or starting a business. I think right now is the best time because of the amount of demand in the labor market, which is like a good hedge against that decision, in my opinion.
0: Well, and the labor market is also transitioning to what people call... A chapter based environment. And there's another phrase that I could use that I can't remember at the moment, but a uh, little bit more segmented. So you're providing external services more on a project based perspective versus them feeling like they need to hire someone to do it forever. Uh, you know, a lot of the work that I do and colleagues that I know do who are entrepreneurial tend to be more project based and they're kind of filling in chapters of a book for a client versus them feeling like they've got to buy the whole book themselves if that makes any sense.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm a big believer in that because as an employee, you're being paid for your time, right? And and when you're in a consultant, you're being paid for the problem that you're solving. So it can be a win-win for both. You know, you can get paid more. They don't have to pay someone as much money, you're, right? Like you said, like buy the whole book. So um, yeah, we live in a good time, Ed.
0: Fantastic. Well, I like that uh, description, Desmond, that as an employee, you're paid for your time because I can recall when I was an employee, you know, there weren't Times There were times when I wasn't working incredibly hard because there wasn't things that needed to get done. But as a consultant, uh, when I'm working on a project for a client, there is a particular deliverable that is anticipated that has been pre-established. And you need to deliver that item, right? You need to make sure that you do what you need to do to maintain a real positive impression in the marketplace. So, Desmond, I'm curious, from your perspective, I mean, you have worked as an entrepreneur in a number of businesses. Of course, you have a podcast. I'm just wondering if you have a story of a time that you did not show bravery in your career and what the implications of that failure to bravery had on your leadership style or career development.
1: Yeah, hey, man, you're you're hitting other great questions out the park. Um I would have to say this is so funny because I'm in sales, right? And um I'll have to say that the first big sales job I had where I had my first client, my first big client. I was in a very interesting situation because I was very hungry and I wanted to make a name for myself, and I really wanted to. You know, I was very financially motivated, and I really wanted to. You know, show you know the market that you know I'm somewhere to be reckoned with, right? Because it's a ton of competition, and it was this one client, this one prospective client who I met, and he was pretty much what we call in the, in the corporate space a bulldog. with some of you may understand what that means, which is like he was really, really aggressive kind of a high conflict guy. And I was like the ultimate yes, man. Like I would like try to figure out, like, I would not say I can't do anything. I would try to figure out how I can do something. And so I was put in a situation where he was just ordering stuff from me left and right. And I had some conversations with the internal uh, departments, like the finance departments and my managers. And they were just like, you know, maybe you should slow down with this guy because, you know, he hasn't shown, you know, in terms of like net 30 days, in terms of paying his invoices and and, and showing that he's a trustworthy client. And, um, I, you know, when I wanted to essentially, I wouldn't say fire, but I wanted to slow down this relationship. I let him bulldog, uh, you know, kind of bulldog me into like buying more stuff on credit. And uh, it got to a situation where he had, you know, about five figures worth of invoices out. And he wasn't trying to pay them, and this was a very sticky situation because we technically had a, a lean position, possibly down the down the supply chain onto you know the people that is his, who or his customers, right? And during the situation, um, going through this process of like you know mediation between all the parties involved, and including the um, you know the ultimate end customer involved in this, it really just like put things in perspective for me because I was like, man, like I could have just said no to this guy and we wouldn't be here. But I let him like bulldog me and take advantage of me because I couldn't say, I didn't have the courage to say no. I couldn't be brave enough to say no, Ed. And that's probably my, <laughs> the story that, that got away from me.
0: And why, and upon reflection, Desmond, as you think about this story, you know why don't you think you could have said no, or actually have provided him other options that still could have helped him make progress? <sighs>
1: Really, um, man, that's a good one. I I really just wanted to like sell as much stuff as I could secretly, right? Like obviously every salesperson wants to, you know, make as many sales as possible. But at the same time, like I knew saying no was the best, but I just really couldn't at the time have the courage to just say, tell the guy no, right? When he's like feet, like I don't want to like the the fear of like when what if I'm wrong? Right. So it was like more internal of, I like, mean, what if I'm wrong about this? And I just burn a relationship with the client because of my fear. Right. And um, yeah, man, it was a, it was a really, I think it was more about me than it was more about him. It was like my uncertainty with myself. Like, could and I get another client like this? This might be my last shot. I get a client like this. Like those are kind of like self-talks I have going in my head at the time.
0: <laughs> That's right. Uh, sometimes we call them gremlins which are uh, little voices in our head that have us do things that maybe upon reflection we could have done a little bit differently. And so how did it end with that client? Did they did you achieve what you needed to achieve with them and the sale closed or what happened?
1: Uh, we ended up doing a settlement. At the end of the day, the, the project was unprofitable. So some of it was written off and uh, my boss walked me into the office. And I'll never forget this. Actually, this is so funny. I-, I should add this disclaimer. My first day at this job, my boss told me if I'm not making any mistakes, I'm not trying. And so that was my first big mistake walking into his <laughs> office of like, yo, just, hey, man, I just cost you guys some money. And uh, they asked me what I learned about the situation. And it was like learning the value of saying no. And Ed, when I tell you like, being willing to walk away has helped my consulting company and like means in, in sales in general has like i mean i can't even put in perspective how much being willing to walk away from a deal or walk away it, it, it like more contracts get signed more deals get closed right cuz you're not attached to the outcome right and that was like one of the big lessons um you know that i learned from the situation
0: well oftentimes people say sometimes the hardest thing to do is the best thing And it sounds as though if you had done that uh, activity and maybe said no a little bit earlier, things might have unfolded a little bit better. So I'm wondering, Desmond, if you have any thoughts for our listeners on ways that you can say no. Of course, when people say, you know, I want to say no more, they envision somebody just saying, no, I'm not going to do it. But of course, I think there's a number of ways that you can respond to somebody if, in fact, your plate is already full or you're not in agreement with what they're doing I have a couple. I'm wondering, do you have some thoughts on ways to not do something that you're being asked to do where the other person feels as though you're treating them with respect and courtesy?
1: yeah, so um it's just, this is a good question, so I'm a big believer in energy, and like as you may know, like communication is more nonverbal than it is verbal, right, so like how you say things, your body language, right. And I'm a big fan of asking more questions before I say no. So I'll ask them questions to steer them away from my... See, okay, let me double check if this is a no or not by getting more clear and accessing more information or telling them that, hey, no, I'm not... Like, this is pretty common in consultancy where clients want to ask for the moon that's not in the contract. And you, you, you got to, like, hold your boundaries and you got to say, hey, like, can you give me... You need to do this in order for me to do my job, right? So, like... You know, just being a very good like traffic controller. I, I like like a fancy you know traffic controller, like knowing like when to ask questions, when to make a uh, like a statement of like, hey, here's how this deal can happen. Here, like this is a non-negotiable. Um, and just yeah, just like really just playing around with you know being a, a traffic controller, right? That's kind of like my my you know my my mental framework around it. But I'm curious to hear yours. It. Well, first of all, I love that
0: uh, perspective because curiosity. We oftentimes don't do enough of. And when we demonstrate curiosity, we can actually see new options that maybe we weren't aware of when the client first came to you. So the client comes to you with a story. Uh, it's limited in respect to what it is that they're saying. And you try to respond to that story. But with curiosity, you can actually think about other ways that you can help them, even if what you're gently attempting to do is not do the work yourself. You know, a couple of other options, Desmond are to have a accountability partner. So to have somebody that, if in fact this is not something that you have time to do or want to do, that you can go to your boss or go to somebody and say, hey, I've been asked to do something by a client. I'm either uncomfortable doing it or don't have time to do it. Uh, you know, What are some thoughts or ideas on how we can still get this work done? Because I don't want to tell the client no, but it's not possible for me to do this. And with other people helping other than just yourself, your likelihood for getting it done is reasonable. The second thing you can do is actually find someone else who can do the work, especially in corporate environments. You may not be the only person who can get this done. And so you can say to somebody who is reaching out to you, even if it's in a sales situation, hey, I'd love to help you, but right now I am unable to devote any other time than the work that I'm currently doing for my current current client base. However, Ed or Desmond can do this work for you and let me connect you with them and find uh, a way that you guys can get this work done. So in my mind, Desmond, it's about how do you keep things moving forward when it's not possible for you to do the work yourself versus telling them no, which sounds like a roadblock.
1: Uh, that, that's good stuff. Um, I love that. Could I add, a, add, a, add a, another little take into that, like compound that? Because I was really good. Sure. Um, so something that's super cool that I always you know tell clients and – and, and people that I'm working with is like being just obsessed with people's outcomes. So if you're come from is like, hey, how can I help this person? Sometimes it's easier to to know that I'm not the right person for this person, you know, for this person in terms of time or scope of work. And then, you know, you can introduce them to colleagues or, you know, stir them in a direction for them to actually get their, out- their outcome if you're like solely, you know, uh, focused on how can I help this person get the, their desired results. So I think that's that was pretty cool what you said, Ed.
0: Yeah, this was a common behavior I learned later in my corporate career. I wish I had learned it sooner, which is to tell somebody, hey, it sounds as though the problem that you have is really fascinating. Right now, my plate is full and I'm unable to take on any additional work. Let me find somebody on our team who would be more than happy to help you achieve what it is you're looking to achieve and you know, give me a couple of days to do that. And then I'd go and find somebody and connect them and hopefully they were able to continue to make progress. So I think there's a number of ways, Desmond, that people can not do the work without quote unquote saying no, but allowing the client to feel as though they're continuing to make progress, even if it is not with you. So Desmond, it has been great chatting with you today. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm just wondering if folks want to reach out to talk with you more about the work that you're doing or about your podcast, how can they get in touch with you?
1: I think right now, since the agency's full and I'm really focused on the, on the pod, um, they can find us at campfirecapitalism.com. We give out a ton of free, uh, information and, uh, that's probably the best place to find me.
0: Terrific. And, uh, where does the word campfire come from?
1: Oh, good story. Uh, it, uh, sitting around a campfire, actually. <laughs> that's where it came from. <laughs> we were camping. I and uh, I was like, oh, I want to do this every day. And like, let's start a pod and let's do it. So that's where it came from.
0: Oh, I love it! I love it. Well, Desmond, once again, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thanks for having me, Ed.
0: And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today, and we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Whom you can reach at eight hundred. 222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com and a reminder to check out my new book drive your career nine high, nine high impact ways to take responsibility for your own success which is available in paperback on kindle and in audio everywhere online if you have something to say yet are not saying it if you have something to do yet are not doing it now it's the time to be brave at work have a great week